Great. So welcome to episode 18 of the Banking Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach Miller, Editor-in-Chief at Tearsheet. Joining me is Josh. Will you introduce yourself? How you doing, everybody? Great to be back. Josh Liggett from the investments team at Crowd. Josh is bringing an unopinionated viewpoint here for some of the things we want to talk about with you guys today. First of all, first and foremost, you can't go anywhere without reading the headlines and they don't look good. It's pretty ugly out there, Zach. <laughs> is there blood in the streets when it comes to banking yet? I don't know if there's blood in the streets yet. We'll get to that later, but it's it's just, uh, you know, you're telling me that the stock market doesn't move up and to the right continuously? Is this I how can this did. be? I yeah. thought everything moved up into the right. Every chart I ever see only moves up into the right. So it's it's a bit, a bit interesting that it is moving down to the right. So yeah. I'm not sure. So, so obviously, a healthy thing in the market, pullbacks, recession, whatever it is. Um, funny money was was real rampant over the past few years. Um, bring some reality and uh, and and bear market dynamics to to lenders, to bankers. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about first with you, Josh, is like sort of if you know if if the you know major stocks are down, um, there's there's a a reversion, I guess, to focusing on what's really core to a company when stuff like that happens. That's what big investors want. And so like a lot of this trend of uh, rebundling, which we talked about, which was followed unbundling, right? So a lot of these fintechs got in with a single monoline product, got really good at it, and then expanded into, you know, multi-line financial services. I kind of feel like when, when it hits the fan now, um, we're going to see those companies go back to the roots and maybe drop off some of that stuff that was ancillary maybe to their core businesses. What do you think about that? It could be. It could be that companies now stop experimenting, stop looking for global expansion, go back to their core bread and butter, you know, ideas that got them to where they where they got to. Um, at the same time, if you have cash now, there's going to be shopping sprees for distressed assets, um, you know, both on the private and public markets, you know, for companies that aren't going to that that haven't really figured it out yet that that raised based on unrealistic expectations or raised based on or IPO'd or, or, or went out there or, or just, you know, or having issues and then capital starting to starting to tighten up, you know, you could have a lot of uh, a lot of you know acquisitions out there. And the reality is what people really forget about is there is still a lot of money in the market. Um, there is a lot of money too. There's, you know, if you look at, for example, from the VC side, from the private equity side, there's so much money out there that needs to be spent because these mm -hmm. massive funds were raised. So, you know, there's still going to be fundraisings and there's still going to be, um, you know, acquisitions happening and, and companies are going to get back and good companies are going to get back still. Uh, you know, you're looking at a lot of SaaS multiples. I saw Bessemer has, uh, you know, tracks a lot of SaaS companies. Mm -hmm. um, the multiples basically have just gone down pre-COVID, like to the multiples they were back in 2019, which is like, wow. so it's, it's not bad. That's thing. not it's a, like, yeah, it's fine. It's just the multiples, they went up during COVID and now they've come back down. And now they're back to like basically pre 2019, which is okay. Like pre sorry pre 2020. So it's like okay, like it's not a problem. It's just now you have to be more realistic. And the companies that are positioned well are going to do fine. The positions that the companies that are not positioned well are going to have a rough time, as we've seen over the past couple of days in the market. Right, and I think maybe some of those early companies that got out via SPAC or got got in, got public somehow through a public window. Um, you know, raised money and came out now starting to report and the earnings are are, are, are horrible and, and and future forecasts have been cut. Um, but many of these companies, uh, they're, they're being hammered because, I mean, they're, they're losing money. Unit economics, you like to talk about that all the time, I know here. Um, 
if a company's even if it has money in the bank but it's not profitable like where's the floor on that so those those stocks can go down very low but um do you see some of maybe those early public being early companies have gone public maybe they're the winners because they will be able to scoop up some of these you know distressed assets along the way it could be those companies if they have the if they have the the cash i mean what you and i always talk about but doesn't always necessarily happen are like the big tech companies maybe now they jump in cuz they're yeah. sitting on so much cash, but it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, I think that you'll have very opportunistically, you'll have, um, you know, banks and, and fintechs consolidating and, and you know, being able to buy based on shares, based on shares is not as good right now, honestly, because of the price per share. Mm-hmm. Um, but based on cash, you know, being able to being able to buy some companies. I I, I still think like, you know, what is it? Uh, buy, what is it? Uh, what's the saying? Uh, buy the rumor, sell the news, you know, is, yep. the, is, the, is the joke. So. Everyone's freaking out in the market. No one really knows what's going on. You have a lot of panic, a lot of you know fud in the market. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a trader. I don't try to predict where the market's going to go in the next, you know, two weeks or two days or or whatever. But to me, there's still a lot of capital in the market. And if you're a good company, even if you have good economics, you know, by the way, you're still, you know, it could still hurt you. It, maybe you can weather the storm a little bit better. But the reality is that good companies are still going to are going to be able to thrive in this long term. And 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 possibly come out better uh if they're able to you know pick up some really interesting companies in the in the interim i like that approach i appreciate your rosy colored glasses um <laughs> you think well, the world's over no i don't I, there's I, no five there's no five nine hack no you know we're, we're, <laughs> until there's a, until there's a five nine hack for all you mr robot fans you know so there's a five nine hack i think we're, we're still we're still remember good. those days <laughs> when we used to review the episodes that was that was good times that yes. was that was a good time um, well, what about banks, right? So, you know, you can make a case that the U.S. is definitely overbanked. There's too many undifferentiated banks out there, non-differentiated banks out there. Um, I've heard, I've heard, we've had experts on on my podcast as well have come and say like, you know, hundreds if not thousands of banks will be subsumed into other entities over the next few years. Just too many. Um, Cornerstone had a, a research report out recently also that looked at like sort of the revenue potential for banks particularly smaller ones that are undifferentiated, maybe geographically or product-wise, um, moving into banking as a service, becoming a partner bank to, to, to tech firms and fintech firms. Um, and there's potential there to make revenue. Do, do, you see, do you see this market meltdown maybe as, as, um, as an impetus to start making maybe that transition for some of these banks that are thinking about becoming partners and not just brands? Well, here's the question I have for you, Zach. How many banking as a service platforms do we actually need? I, I don't I don't know how many we need like how what what what's the correct ratio to banking as a service partners to you know to banks um you know I I don't is it it's not one to one it's sorry it's not one to one and it's not infinity to one you know there's gonna be more than one banking as a service platform I, and you definitely seeing the platforms moving into multi-bank models so so it is good for a bass platform to have relationships with multiple banks to be able to offer different things to different customers I agree with that. Um, it's definitely not a winner take all, as you're saying, but you know, where's, where, what is the limit? Yeah. I, I, like I said, I don't think there's, I don't think you need a ton of these. I really don't like, are we, do you need a banking as a service platform for a doctor who likes to golf on Thursdays? You know, and obviously thank you to extreme, but you know, you've seen all these there banks, he goes again. You, take I know. To extreme. <laughs> you see all these never me. But you see all these you see all these banks out there. We've seen more on the consumer side, not necessarily the back end platforms, but 
we've seen you know many different banks going after very specific markets trying to create sort of a virtual community bank so to speak as we've mm-hmm. we've addressed you know many times so now the question is does that company decide try to you know hitch its wagon to a larger player and and become a subsidiary of you know one of the giants and then the larger banks just get bigger are they going to say hey we're going to do banking as a service for other fintechs that want to deal with our tiny market like to me that that second doesn't make sense they're going to have to figure out how to they're going to have to get more they're going to have to you know bring just not deal with one tiny segment of the market if they're if they're going specifically on the banking as a service side they're going to have to do more than that so that's why i think like sure are a bunch of banks going to go for the banking as a service route yeah absolutely if all of them do then we'll just have the same thing where there's too many banking as a service platforms and now they have to buy each other or they have to like you know consolidation yeah consolidate the consolidation so you're right so it's 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 not a winner take all market but it's also there isn't room for thousands of these players I don't even know if there's rooms for hundreds, honestly. I don't know. What, what do we have? Like <laughs> 20 to 50 partner banks now, uh, many small, a few bigger ones, but like, is there another 50 or another hundred? Uh, who knows, right? But it's not thousands. No, it can't be. Like, it would just, it would be really fun. That would be really funny. I mean, if just the US market had thousands of smaller banks, you know, like, then, I mean, if you want me to get crazy, you know, DeFi or tech, everyone's technically a mini bank when, when you talk this about is, DeFi, but, but we're, that's a whole other can of worms to get into, but uh, yeah, I, I it, you know if there's even to me as crazy as it sounds, even like a hundred, like even fifty seems like a lot to me. Okay, um, but it could be that you know it could be I've been wrong in the past and uh, happy to be wrong again if there if there's a need in the market for you know more specific nuanced um, challenge like banking as a service platforms. Well, yeah. it's not the platforms, it's the partner banks behind the platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, mean. yeah, yeah. I, I agree also, like, how many platforms are there? And I, I, I also think there's room for more platforms, but it's not infinite. Um, you know, to be a platform to bank certain types of fintech companies, um, there are, there's nuance there. There's scalability issues as well. Um, but, you know, how many, how many, you know, can service that market? It's not definitely not infinite. Um, I agree. I, I agree with you that dealing with, you know, something like a firm, especially at the beginning, is very different than dealing with, hey, I'm going after a community bank of like, like what's like, a, like, a, you know, a credit union dealing with the army or dealing with, you know, a branch of military or dealing with, you know, a very traditional clientele, two very different ways to look at it. And yeah, those are two, maybe you need a different risk profile, different appetite mm-hmm. to go at both. But I don't need, I don't think I need 12 for each one. You know what I mean? I think there's some options, but not as many as if, you know, not as many as I think people are imagining. I hear that. Um, I think it's probably a good switch now into something else we want to talk about, which was um, BNPL, buy now, pay later, and, and sort of the inevitable um, evolution of the regulatory environment around it. You've, have you, You've looked at BNPL. Tell me, tell me what I you're have, feeling is. I you? have looked at. B- <laughs> you have to remind all the time. You remind me of split it, Zach. Um, but uh, you know, we we like you and I like to joke around about regulation and how you know regulation in fintech is the it's the four letter word of fintech, um, and it's it uh, in, to me no regulation is is a problem. Overregulation is also a problem. It's the regulator getting involved at the right point for the right idea, and I think. With what's going on with BNPL, which is like we've said before, it's a credit card, basically a different version of a credit card. 
And to not have that jive necessarily with FICO and with understanding a person's holistic, you know, credit or financial well-being is a problem. And it's going to lead to, it's going to lead to defaults. It's going to lead to people getting into a different version of credit card debt. Um, the same thing, except a little bit different. So the regulator to get involved to, to figure out how exactly this should be tracked to make sure that how to protect consumers from themselves in a way. Yeah. So yeah. a little bit, just, just provide transparency also for the thing that worries me is that someone uses the firm or someone uses a, you know, buy now, pay later platform. And then they're, you know, and now they have a, they racked up huge credit card bills on there and then they go for a mortgage to another fintech player and the fintech player is trying to do, you know, some analytics on this person and, and doesn't necessarily have access to that information. And then they all of a sudden the person defaults and now their data is a, they have a default and B their data set is, is corrupted. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, garbage in, garbage out, make sure your data is clean. Their date without even go. knowing it. Yeah, exactly. Without even knowing it, their data set is corrupted. And they, they're like, why is this person, why did this person default? And they have to figure out, oh, and investigate. Oh, it's because they have these, you know, buy now, pay later loans that we didn't necessarily know about. So then, and then, well, how is the person going to have to, you're going to have to have an API to connect to know all the different platforms they use and have, and it's, and it's a bit of a mess, but you're just going to, there's going to be able, just a way to share information correctly so that the overall market can, can accurately understand how what a person's financial well-being is. And I think we're starting to see the beginning part of that. I think a few of the CRAs, the credit reporting agencies, um, have started to issue BNPL um, products and coverage of, of that space. So I, I, we do see this world. I think BNPL's success came from the fact that it was outside the re regular credit system. It was so easy and so fast. It was such a dopamine hit to be able to get you know instant credit um, it made purchasing really, really slick, which is, you know, obviously has some good components to it, but there is a reckoning now, like, right. The, a customer has traditional products and non-traditional products. How, how, how do we make sure that he or she is like really healthy in terms of decision-making that they're making, or at least know the decisions, the, the impacted decisions that they're making. So um, I think, I think, I think we're starting to see some of the agents, some of the uh, consumer protection agencies like step in and, and start to come out with some regulatory ideas. Like it's, I think it is inevitable um, that with the amount of uh, debt saddled upon consumers that, you know, BNPL doesn't get sort of added to the mix, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to take us, I guess, to our, to our last point. I know you're going to love talking about this. Uh, we had an article on Tearsheet recently about crypto mortgages. Uh, obviously, early days there. I, I assume you don't have an opinion about them. Um, could you form one, maybe? Formulate an opinion? Could I, could I form a, an opinion about crypto used as collateral on any sort of debt products? Nothing could go wrong there. <laughs> Absolutely. What like, an easy, wanna, yeah. Luna tokens. Let's just go, you know, no, no, <laughs> only Luna tokens. Um, I you thought know, it was cool. worth a dollar. <laughs> was it worth it? Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute, it's not worth a dollar anymore. Um, the, the, the sort of what we we're saying before about, you know, blood in the streets, the, you know, the, 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 the joke that we always say is that the top of the market is when, you know, your cab driver or now Uber driver, or Lyft driver or your barber or your, you know, some person is, is, you know, giving you stock tips. You know, that's the classic, you know, what everyone says to me, the, the bottom of the market is where you start hearing some like crazy stories about, you know, about, um, about just like blood, like people in horrible situations, not like, Oh, I, you know, 
like white, I lost 20% of my, you know, retirement account. That's awful. I lost 50%. That's awful. But like, that's obviously wipeouts, right? Like, yeah, total, like gone. Like what we've had with, you know, and in crypto, this is how this happens a lot, you know, unfortunately, where a token is worth a lot and then it's worth nothing the next day. Like maybe a couple of years later, it becomes an NFT actually. And it becomes a collector's item of like, Hey, I want to own part of this coin that died and cool. Like, and then it becomes <laughs> like a moon rock. Happens, yeah. yeah. Which happened actually with moon, with, with buying ownership of the moon. It happened with those tokens, which is mm. really funny that you said moon rock also. Nice. Um, but what I remember in the last crypto crash was, People who'd been trading and playing the market, um, you know, the entire year during the during the bull run. I think it was back in like 2018. You know, when when they had that big monster up and then down, which is nothing compared to where we're at right now. Um, people who had been playing the market and had been just going in and out of crypto so much, they, they'd accrued a ton of short-term cap gains uh, taxes on themselves, and then the crypto market crashed. And as soon as the crypto market crashed, they realized that they had to liquidate their entire portfolio just to pay for the taxes on what they had wow. accru accrued. And wow. so people literally got wiped out, like money's gone, even sometimes more, you know, and, and the idea of a margin call on my house based on Bitcoin, you know, or Ethereum, where, oh, Bitcoin or Ethereum can't move too much. It was, it's down, I was looking at it earlier, I think from like a, like six months ago, it was at 40,000. You're talking about now it's at around the 30s. You're talking about a 20% you know, a 20% change on a house where you're talking about being over collateralized already, you know, it's, it could be a situation where you have a margin call on somebody and I have to come up with, you know, you know, 20% of my entire mortgage in Bitcoin or else they foreclose on me. And that's scary. And, and to me, that's not where, you know, there is some place for Bitcoin as an asset. And we've actually, you know, we've looked in, you know, looked into trying to figure out how to better bridge those gaps and to better measure, uh, you know, the understanding of, of how, how to, uh, how to value crypto long-term when in the, in, in the realm of traditional finance, which is uh CFI, that's the, that's the term, um, CFI versus DeFi. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's something that is, we're still so early. And so for people who have a ton of crypto, I think that's what I saw in the article for people with a ton of crypto. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, like, right. why not? Don't have to liquidate. Sure. You have it yeah, anyway. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. I have it, so I don't have to stake it. It's fine. I don't want to. I want to be able to use this as collateral, but I don't want to. You know, that is a great reason, and that's you know, we invested in a company who's basically working on providing, making sure that that money is clean, um, that the money that 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 Bitcoin is is clean, and that it's really your Bitcoin, and that it because there is a lot of an, an anonymity there. You know, mm -hmm. so you wouldn't even see what you could put it into a wallet that's locked, make sure everything's you know an escrow account. Whatever you'd want to do, that that, that that's fine. Um, the company's called Crypto Proof, by the way. Um, so uh, not to not to like you know to not to not yes, to like, you know, yes to toot your arm and exactly exactly <laughs> to shout out to them, great guys. Um, so the but but you know it, it's for somebody who's got you know three percent of their portfolio in crypto and says, hey, I'm going to go and put crypto on my as you know. What could go wrong? This is totally fine. That's Sorry, just like... kids. Daddy made an <laughs> unhypothecated mistake. Um, what about uh, mortgages to buy uh, land in, in the metaverse? <laughs> Are you doing that? Only, only if Elon You're leveraging Musk up? Only Elon Musk is, is doing the tokens. If Elon Musk is doing the tokens, then I'll do it. If not, then, then yeah. I, I was curious. You know, the, the only I, I only invest in, uh, 
in metaverse companies that have that have houses on Mars. I will. I, I only intern. I don't do you. I don't do Earth uh, real estate. I only Earthbound, do uh, Earth linked. Yeah. No. Has, yeah. Has, I only that. only intergalactic uh, real estate on NFTs. But uh, but yeah. But in in for the metaverse. But yeah. I mean, it's uh, that would be really funny for people to use Bitcoin as collateral on an NFT. <laughs> For a mortgage on the metaverse property, Zach. That's that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, um, that we could, we couldn't get into any trouble with that. Um, the very stable market. Let's create a derivative of that. I'm sure it's going to be trade derivative, very derivative, derivatives. Yeah. Um, well, it's what's interesting is just you know maybe to bring it back full circle. Like there is so much new stuff going on, particularly um, in DeFi, um, which which. In a way, I, I know we talk about sort of bank chain. We have our bank chain, the Tearsheets Bank Chain Conference coming up, and there there is an intersection. But it is really still like the traditional banking system is nowhere near really thinking about a lot of those things that's happening in DeFi, and um, it's a whole world, it's a whole another world. Like we're not, we're not. It's it's two languages that are being spoken at the same time. It's I don't think we're anywhere near seeing um, outside of maybe crypto trading or custody, but like anything really transformative happen to the financial system through the intersection through the traditional financial system it just we're just i i just it's it's amazing to me that we're it we're not we're not really close at all i i think there's two parts of it right the first part of it is the fact that the and this was there was there was long ago i think TechCrunch did like a six-part series on on like the creation on bitcoin and, and ethereum it was like back in back in 2017 i want to say and it was the and at the time they were talking that well so it, i remember because it was it was uh, that was when R, it was R three. It was Charlie from R three and Fred Wilson, you know, on opposite sides in the in the in the last episode, talking about who owns, uh, you know, who's blockchain for? Is it for the the people origin and who's Bitcoin for? You know, is it for um, the original, you know, cyberpunks who wanted full anonymity? Like, um, you know, there's a token called Grin, which is um, a token that where everybody is. There's no one knows who anybody is, and they wouldn't do an ICO and they wanted to like keep everything as like only use pseudonyms. No one knows anybody full straight up, like, and the transactions are private. So you don't know where the money's going. It's like worst nightmare for any regulator versus, you know, what JP, like what enterprise blockchain is going on and, and mm -hmm. sort of, you know, and, and that like originally it was these, the one side of being totally anonymous and now it's moving sort of towards the middle of both. And so you have to be able to reconcile that, that, Banks and regulators want to know who you are, and the the traditional and the way that blockchain was originally built. I'm sorry, that a lot of crypto was originally built. It is around the idea of an, uh, you know being anonymous and not knowing mm -hmm. who you are. So you have to bridge that gap. That's number one. And number two is the fact that the reality is that DeFi and and traditional finance don't really jive too much. Like they jive a little bit, but the idea is like I want to be able to allow individuals to go to to get around middlemen, and that's really what what. Block, the idea of a blockchain is really to try to get around middlemen and a bank is the type of middleman, you know, they're mm -hmm. a market maker, you know, if you see like, look, the coolest thing in DeFi looking at what, what working on are, are sort of these liquidity pools around trading, which obviously people picking the wrong liquidity pool right, right now has, and staking has been absolutely atrocious for them. Mm -hmm. um, but just the idea of a liquidity pool of allowing somebody to become basically the, the market maker. You know, I get to be TD Ameritrade. I get to be Robinhood. Is really, really powerful and really cool. And it's hard to imagine Robinhood wanting to 
try to push that because that's their part of their core business is being what being that service provider. So I, there, there's definitely going to be a lot of there, there is going to be intersection and it is going to be connecting, but there's going to be a part of DeFi that says DeFi. There's going to be part of right. DeFi. There's that inherent DeFi. massive tension between those not. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Josh, it's always interesting to talk to you. I appreciate it. And I like the color of the cup. I would, I would actually mint a new, uh, new card based in that color. Um, with the, with the, with the water changing with the, with the I water. Love, changing. Yeah. The gradient, it'd be a new gradient card. A Neobank think, should definitely launch a card that color. I think this is from Ikea. I'm pretty sure it's from Ikea. <laughs> I don't remember when I bought it, but I want to say it was, if I had to guess, I'd say it's an Ikea cup, but I like it because it's like the, um, the solo cup size. So you get the big, it's nice. not like a small cup. It's a big cup. Whoever, you know, so men, I'll, like, I'll mint this, um, I'll mint the NFT. I'll create the card. We'll have a lot of fun. We're going to we'll get sure rich, that. so rich off this podcast, Josh. <laughs> we'll then do some. We'll do some wash sale transactions to make it be <laughs> the most valuable company on the planet. Then we'll then we'll get you know get evaluated by the regulator. It'll be great. You have the whole future planned out. <laughs> As I said, uh, great catching up with you. Great hearing your thoughts on on banking and the, and the rest of the market. Thank you, listeners, for for tuning in for this session and. Uh, Happy to uh, to do it and catch you again in a couple weeks. Thanks, everybody. And uh, thanks for sticking with us as, as we get more crazy as the podcast goes on. Everyone have a good day. See ya. Yeah.